Queen of Brains podcast, episode one, go. Who's hungry for brains? I know I am. My name is Michelle, and that was a terrible intro. But I'm going to work on it, I promise. This is the first episode. Just give me a tiny, tiny break on that one. Uh, no, uh, with this podcast, I've used a lot of fancy words in the descriptions. Uh, throwing around anthropology of the undead and zombie culture. Um, I don't even know what those mean yet. Uh, I just think that they're the right thing to call it. Because really, all I want to know is more about zombies. I just want to know, you know, why they're so popular. Why people are so into them. Why they have exploded on literally every screen we have. Every entertainment platform that we have. There is a zombie something. Why? How did they get to be so big? You know, a lot of people I know are into them. I'm into them. But I don't know why I am. You know, I don't know why I like them. I don't remember the first time I saw a zombie movie or, you know, learned what a zombie was. I don't, I don't know. I can't trace that back. All I know is that I think that they're cool and um, they're something that I'm into. But it's so widespread. It can't, it can't just be me. I know it's not just me, but maybe somebody else else out there might be wondering the same things as me you know and that's what this is here for so if you're listening maybe you're wondering what I'm wondering let's find out together shall we all right so how I'm going to be doing this it's conducting this little experiment is I want to talk to as many people as I can who can offer some insight into the zombie thing phenomenon takeover whatever call it what you want but I'm going to be talking to people who have maybe used zombies in a way that have helped them achieve something or just people who are authorities of their respective field uh, but who can offer, again, some insight or some new information that I certainly don't know because I am not any sort of authority on anything. So all I want to do is talk to people who know more than me about zombies. So first off, for the first episode, I have reached out to a pair of women who went to Stanford. Uh, So immediately off the bat, they're geniuses. That's just a given. Uh, They are anthropologists. They study anthropology. But what really um, made me want to talk to them was the fact that they started a class at Stanford while they were still students. And the title of their class was... Zombies, Anthropology of the American Undead. So that sounds awesome to me. If I was if I was in school still at all, any class, I remember signing up for classes way back when, and uh, I swear you judge them by the names. So if I saw any class with the word zombie in it, I'm taking it. That's it. But uh, no, they started this class, and uh, 
I, I feel like I had some kind of connection with them because they started this class while they were still students. And I'm over here starting this podcast while I'm kind of still in the learning process too. So as I learn more, I'm presenting it. And that's kind of what they did. Um, I don't want to spoil too much about it. Uh, their interview is coming up in like 20 seconds. So uh, their names are Elizabeth Rosen and Brianna Evans. And they are just f- super fabulous, fantastic, smart people. And uh, and that's all I could say. Just listen. They're, it's coming up right now. What happened was um, this idea was actually born in our junior year in college. Bree and I were roommates and living together, studying in the same department. It, I don't know. At some point it came up that, you know, we should teach a class together. Obviously, we should teach class in anthropology. Um, but A, how do we want to you know, specialize that? We don't want to teach anthro 101. That exists mm-hmm. already. Um, and B, what kind of topic would we do it in that would actually be interesting to people and, you know, useful to an extent in that it would, what would be the best way to kind of break down this huge topic? Um, and I was a Walking Dead fan at the time. Still kind of am. I've fallen off the wagon. Yeah. But, um, I was watching one day and said, zombies, obviously. People are super into them. They're, you know, the up-and-coming star in horror and in a lot of other genres. Um, We could definitely teach a class on it. I mean, we knew the material existed out there, the the studies, the psychological part, the economics, etc. We had no idea how much had already been published on it, but we knew it was there for us to use. And... It kind of went from there, um, and we were right. It was a really popular topic. We were limited to 20 students and ended up having to turn people away. Um, so you were in your last semester of the of your four years, right, at mm-hmm. that point? Right, mm-hmm. right. So who who was taking the class, like freshmen? It was like, mostly uh, seniors, actually. Um, okay. Senior spring yeah. at Stanford is a it's a time that a lot of students like to chill out if they're able to. So mm-hmm. this was a one-unit or two-unit class with um, relatively uh, little work, reading, but not a lot of sort of writing work. So there are a lot of students interested in watching zombie movies and talking about this cultural phenomenon um, as sort of a capstone to their intellectual experience at Stanford. Right. And we cool. saw the double benefit of this as a way to introduce them after they had studied something either more practical to them, just more in line with their interests and career goals, introducing them to anthropology, something that might have kind of gone under their radar in undergrad, but which we are hugely into and think is a very fascinating and useful topic. So kind of saw it as a, you know, get Indulge your intellectual curiosities while you still have the opportunity. Yeah. In a okay. structured setting. Yeah, that's cool. Okay. Um, and um, and I was kind of curious if it was hard to you know get up in front of people and teach something that you um, were also interested in. Like, was it hard to get yeah you know, kind of your peers and stuff to 
I don't know, see you as a teacher or just, you know, just take it seriously as a class or was it more fun? I'm not trying to discredit the class, but like, was it more lax environment or was, did you actually give assignments? Like, If anything, the fact that we were both interested in it made it easier. Okay. Stanford has a, uh, a program called Stanford, or excuse me, student initiated courses. So this is a format that is not unfamiliar to students um, where you have one or more students teaching a class that's relatively small, usually 20 students or fewer. So in that respect, it was not so bad. Um, students knew that we were supposed to be guiding the class. They knew that we would be giving assignments. Uh, but on the other hand, in terms of getting up in front of a class and teaching, neither of us had really done that before. So that was certainly an terrifying. experience. <laughs> okay, in a word, terrifying maybe. <laughs> But um, learning how to build a curriculum and how to uh, prepare for a lecture and how much material it actually requires to cover an hour of lecture, all of those were things that we had to learn as we went. And that was a big, it was a big process, but it was also a lot of fun. Especially because we were learning a lot of the material for the first time. So it wasn't pulling from a bank of articles and of knowledge that we developed over years and years, like professors. We were you know, only a few steps ahead of the students at any given time. Yeah, I mean, you you hit it on the nose with the word relaxed, but okay. still because it was inher- it was at Stanford, so it was inherently a class full of nerds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so people were really into it. Like, we didn't have to, you know, crack the whip for people to ask questions or do the reading or get into it. They were really curious about it and into the topic. So enthusiasm was not lacking by any stretch of the imagination. Um, But it was, like Bree said, um, final term senior year. We were mostly doing it to have fun and engage people and just get these good conversations started about a new topic. As anthropology majors, the two of us are frequently um, confronted with the question of the value of anthropology and why we would choose something so useless to major in. Um, So it's always a pleasure to uh, find an opportunity to introduce other people to anthropology as a critical way of engaging with the world. Um, I think zombies are a really nice, that was part of our motivation for choosing zombies. They're interesting and they're easy to wrap your head around in one sense, but because they have a a long history and a cultural history that... um, has determined quite a lot of the way we think about them now. They're a really useful way of entering into this idea of critical thinking about things that are in our world normally. So that was definitely part of the motivation, getting people introduced to anthropology in a way that made sense. About, I mean, the basic, a basic tenet of anthropology, which is totally addressed in a class about a popular horror trope, horror trope is this idea of just deconstructing everything you think you know about the world and then recollecting the data and reconstructing your knowledge kind of from scratch minus the assumptions you had going into it. So like we took this pretty familiar thing, the zombie people think, oh yeah, I know where it came from, 1968, Romero, Night of the Living Dead, I know that they eat people, that they mean this or that. And sort of saying, stop, stop thinking you know what's going on. Pretend you're totally ignorant. 
collects the data on this kind of blank page and see how it see what kind of different conclusions you come to after reconstructing it. Does that make sense? No, it totally does. That's again, like I'm not scholarly at all. So I don't really I didn't really even know if anthropology of the undead was the right thing to call my podcast because I had to Google actually what anthropology was to make sure I wasn't <laughs> misusing the word. Uh, but I don't think I am now. Uh, but uh, again, it's just starting. I like that what you said, start from scratch, pretend you're ignorant, because that's really the only way you can learn something new. If you go in thinking that you know things already, then you're going to hold on to those and not um, be open to newer information. That's how I see it. That is the heart of anthropology. <laughs> yeah, you are so it. many steps ahead of most of the world on this. <laughs> oh, man. See, I like learning. I just never wanted to do it in school, but I am totally open to, on my own, figuring stuff out. Yeah. Yeah. So did you did you find that it was hard for that for like we said before with like the you know starting from scratch thing did you find that it was hard to get people to do that or were they were they more open to it because it was a classroom setting I think the first day was uh, I think the first day set the tone for that uh, learning about Haitian zombies blew a lot of people's minds. They had no idea that there was any sort of history beyond, you know, the 80s. So it was really exciting for a lot of students, and it did help them build, I guess what I like to call a radical skepticism. So it helped them just think completely outside of what they thought they knew about this and really start to question the assumptions that they were making. Yeah, very much. Um, so, Bree, do you maybe want to start there? I mean, we... We introduced them to Davis and the Clavius Narcisse story on the first day. Sure. That was sort sure. of like the, the shock factor. Yeah. I'm, I'm, let me begin at the beginning again. It's been a while since I told this story. So Clavius Narcisse was a Haitian man that um, was born in the 20s. And uh, he was relatively young when he seemed to fall very ill very quickly. Um, he... His, his body froze and um, not temperature wise, but he was unable to move. He was paralyzed and his sister took him to the hospital where he was treated by doctors. They looked at him and determined that his heart had stopped and that he had died. So that was, that was the end of Clarius Narcisse. Um, they buried him. Buried, right. Okay. Right. They buried him and life continued in his village um, until 18 years later, when he came home, he walked into the village and people were shocked because a dead man was standing before them. So this was a really confusing thing. Um, and most confusing was that it seemed that it really was still Clavius Narcisse. Although he had died and been buried, his sister confirmed that it was him, that she recognized his face, that he knew things that only her brother would know. And so it seemed that it really was truly him, although there were verified testimonies from two American doctors that he had died 18 years before. <clears throat> so this was our first sort of verifiable case of a zombie, of a Haitian zombie. 
And this is where a lot of the legend um, sort of builds, not the mythological legend, but the idea that zombies really could be real has a lot to do with Clairvius Narcisse and his story. So the story is told um, in part in a book by Wade Davis, who's a Canadian anthropologist that works in ethnobotany. So ethnobotany is the study of plants to understand how they affect people. So not sort of the pharmaceutical effects, although those are important as well, but the way that people interact with plants. So um, traditional medicines and other sort of rituals that might happen around plants would be included in ethnobotany. So Wade Davis, this Canadian ethnobotanist, was interested in um, Clairvius Narcisse and how he could have died and yet appeared 18 years after his burial. Um, and he began this project to try to figure out what chemical could have caused Narcisse to seem dead and yet actually be alive. So this is where we really start to get into a sort of science of zombies and how zombies could be a real phenomenon, that real people could become zombies. Um, this it's really, Wade Davis had a really complicated and uh, sort of unpopular <laughs> career around ethnobotany, or not around ethnobotany, but around the ethnobotany of zombies, um, which we can get into a little bit more if you like. But I think that initial story tells you that there's a lot more going on when it comes to zombies than what we normally see in the movies. So there's a lot to sort of wonder about if there are people that are being drugged and forced to do certain things, but they're not eating brains, but we call them zombies still. What exactly is the zombie? And I mean, this comes after a very sort of confusing etymological background. In in brief, no one is 100% sure where the word zombie comes from, whether it's French West African, a mix thereof, if it was an Anglophone mishearing of a word. Um, so it's, again, just part of kind of breaking down what people think they know about this character um, and what its, you know, origins were. So basically the way Bree is describing it, a zombie was someone who was drugged, tricked into thinking they were dead, and that they had no free will, and then, like she said, used for hard labor. It was a social punishment that was inflicted on someone who screwed up, um, embarrassed, or offended someone powerful, um, and then used as basically an economic tool, which sounds super banal, but it's actually quite interesting when you put it in the context of what what we're used to. It's such a huge contrast. Yeah, Absolutely. just... Just to um, interject a little bit, I'm I'm fascinated with the story. I love it um, because I think it's really important that people know that this isn't something that a movie director invented, um, that it does go back and it has actual traceable roots. I think that's super important just to know about zombies. Um, and, And then the way that what was actually being done with them, how they were basically used as human tools, um, you know, I, I had read on my own that they were used in like, uh, like plantations and kind of mm-hmm. like in like a slavery, mm-hmm. in like a slavery setting. Um, and that 
I just find that funny. I don't know if this is morbidly funny, but it's kind of funny to me that um, when we walk around today and we're like, oh, I'm like a zombie today. Uh, like, you know, we while we're doing that, what I've noticed about people and I do it, too. I mean, since I started this whole idea, I really don't say the word zombie that much out loud anymore. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm trying to take it more seriously, but uh, when people say that, I kind of notice that when someone says they're having like a zombie day or they're a zombie today, they're still going about their normal routine, but they're just doing it kind of mindlessly. And it's it's cool that that parallel would come up where, you know, whether they were drugged or, or in some medicinal um, setting that these Haitians in the 30s and 40s, like, um, you know, whatever the case that they got to be zombified, but they were still, um, they had just enough mental capacity left to, to do their everyday routine or just to do a routine. And then mm-hmm. that's what we still do now, but we just call it, you know, we call it zombies more loosely. We're not drugged, maybe hungover or something, but we're... <laughs> we're, it's the parallel is the same that we're just able just able to do what we have to do and that's it we can't think any further well if someone kind of uses it in that context it begs the question like what exactly are you a slave to that's making you a zombie people use it also in the context of look at all the I don't know people walking down the street just looking at their phones right I mean the whole intro to the whole intro to Shaun of the Dead is exactly what you just described but, yeah, um, that illustrates really well. I, Shaun of the Dead is, like, its own little masterpiece because all of those um, those Simon Pegg movies, he always has a deeper connotation to everything. Mm-hmm. So he's always, like, shedding light on a bigger subject. But that, that one, he used zombies in, in the same way that kind of you guys did or, or that I want to find out more about is that what else could they mean? So before you said, like, that they could um, – be like a proxy um i would That's like a to know great word for it that is that is a fantastic word and i'd like to know more about what maybe they're a proxy for sure well I mean, why don't i yeah i feel like white zombie is a pretty good transition from what you were just talking about brie into sort of the next generation of zombies because white zombie um if you've never heard of it, was the first ever American zombie movie. Um, it was made in, I want to say 1932. Yeah, 1932. Yeah. Um, it was a movie with Bella Lugosi, who, for those who aren't total movie nerds, was the original Dracula. Right, um, yeah. And it basically, it played on what Brie was just describing, which was the zombie as, a sort of mindless henchman character, not cannibalistic, not undead, just effectively brainless, um, effectively just muscle, um, but still, still bad guys. And this kind of rolls into one of the themes that we talked about in the class, which was in American cinema and in American pop culture, the first kind of iteration of the zombie was as a proxy, like you said, for fear of the other, um, this, the other being non-Americans, whether that meant 
Caribbean, European. This was a time in the early 20th century of huge, like there are now, influxes of immigrants, mostly at the time from Eastern and Southern Europe. Um, So there was this kind of fear of giant hordes of people whose motivations and customs are unknown and the fear of them taking over. Um, So you have this movie like White Zombie where the main bad guy played by Bela Lugosi has a sort of mysterious continental Eastern European accent and he's commanding these crowds of mindless, unknowable, not, not parasites, but, um, I don't know, invaders. Right. So, and kind of in summary, that was, that was the first way that people were horrified of zombies. That was the first way that they were a scare, a a big bad. Just as a sort of general unknown other. To add a little bit of context to that, um, Zombies were first introduced to America in the 1920s. Um, during, in, starting in 1915, uh, there were American soldiers occupying Haiti. And in that time, there are some soldiers that came to hear of these um, legends about all sorts of things, but including about zombies. So William Seabrook wrote a book called The Magic Island, which was published right before 1930, I think in 1929. And it discusses zombies. It's one of the few books that came around that time that introduced this phenomenon of a human that was not quite human and that it could not act for itself. So when White Zombie came out in 1932, people had just been introduced to this crazy idea of people that were not able to make their own decisions um, that were under the power of something else, something magical, that were zombies. So part of what White Zombie is playing on, the title is really about the main character, who's a woman, um, an American woman that's visiting Haiti, who is put under a zombie spell. And that's part of the horror because she has become something that is just flesh and she's just, she's no longer able to think for herself which is fine when it comes to, you know, the black zombies of Haiti, but not at all appropriate when it comes to an American, a white American woman. And Uh. you can see that, um, you can see that race plays into this in terms of Eastern Europeans and Americans, as uh, Elizabeth was just saying. But as you go through the history of zombies, there are several points at which you can see intersections with, um, with race, and it it really is kind of founded the American understanding of a zombie as something that is just flesh. Before they were green, they were black, and that has a lot to do with the way we think of them now, even unconsciously. I I didn't I've never seen that movie, so I didn't even know about that. Um, but knowing this now, so it's a white woman that undergoes this Haitian voodoo magic and uh and becomes zombified i guess not to spoil the movie but i'm sure people will watch it if they want to um but uh so and but that brings something interesting too because that means that kind of introduces the idea at least to me 
that like, oh, this could happen to anybody. At this point in time, my landlord rings my doorbell and interrupts the entire thing. But we're bringing it back right now. Um, just for fun, just for funsies, what, I'm going to ask this question and I guess you guys can each answer for yourself, but what do you think is the most important rule of survival? And maybe, you know, maybe you did this in class or whatever, but personally, what, what would you hold highest if this ever did happen, this, this apocalypse? We, we thought about this question ahead of time. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's fairly Um, popular. It's It's a fairly popular question, but I'm just, I want to know what other people think. Well, back when we did the class, um, Bree mentions that every week each student had about a one page, just a summary of the readings. But we also, with each of those assignments, had them write one survival tip. And at the end of the class, we made a little booklet out of all the best survival tips from our students. Um, And we were just sort of looking back at that yesterday and reminiscing um i think i know mine off the top of my head which i think is excellent advice for zombie apocalypses as well as life in general normal apocalypses uh, (laughs) normal daily apocalypses not sure about that (laughs) um but one of our students said don't let fear hinder strategy which i think is fantastic advice in all realms of life Never let fear hinder strategy. That's very deep. And that's, yeah, that's just, that's not just zombie apocalypse. uh, Definitely. That is a life tip. (laughs) Um, I think seriously from my end, it's, it's much more logistic. It's like be minimal, pack light. And this is useful for real life too. If you happen to travel a lot, um, it's very easy to get burdened by not fear, but sentimentality. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, so pack light, literally and emotionally. Uh, emotional like baggage. Also deep <laughs> emotional baggage is very heavy. We don't want to. We don't want to be dragging any of the emotional baggage around. Um, Definitely not. <laughs> well, um, Bree, do you, do you mind if I if I share your beautiful tip from a couple years ago? Oh, definitely. Go for it. So. Bree laid out um, the three options in the face of a zombie apocalypse. Very simple, very straightforward, very easy to follow, and um, very instinctive. You probably know which one is right for you right off the bat. Option one, hide. Option two, fight. Or option three, drink. Yeah, that's a very, um, I almost want to say like, psychoanalysis question like that's very (laughs) like what kind of person are you really at your core right Um, I if I I, I'm gonna answer that just for the sake of this podcast I'm gonna answer it um that for me will be uh okay what is it run fight or drink Uh, um Hmm. Hide, fight, or drink. Oh, hide. Hide, fight, or drink. Well, they're both a cowardly approach. Let's just <laughs> It's not going to be that one. <laughs> um, no, I guess I guess mine would, would be fight. I mean, I, I, I've, I don't think of myself as a fighter, um, and I, I hate confrontations of all kinds, really. Like, even the simplest arguments, I'll just shrug them off because I don't want to get into them. But in this, in like a life or death fight, I'm, 
I'm all about that. Like, like, like if my throat hurts for two days, I'm in the doctor's office. Like I will do, I'm, I'm about survival. I'll do that. So I guess I'll have to say fight, but I will. I love that you're not about fighting unless it's a fight to the death. That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Fighting in this case, if you're fighting, that means you have hope, right? Yeah, I guess this is another case where I would say don't let fear hinder strategy because it really depends on what kind of zombie you're facing. If these are the bumbling Mm -hmm. old school zombies, hiding might really be a better option. Or if they're the superhuman new zombies that have the crazy strength beyond anything a human can imagine, then I'm I'm actually not sure. I'm not sure what you should do then, but definitely not fight. (laughs) Right, so that was that uh, first interview down. Uh, I just have to say super thank you to Bree and Liz. They they were the most amazing uh, first interview guests I could hope to have. Um, and just like I said before, just genius women, like totally on top of their game, um, on top of their field. They know everything about anthropology. I'm I'm sure, and. They gave me so much more information than I could fit into a half-hour episode. Uh, It was crazy. They are just fountains of knowledge. And I thank them so, so much for taking the time and talking to me. And um, and just a fun fact, um, Elizabeth is currently in Paris, and Brianna is in California, and I am in New York. Uh, Can you just take a second and picture... The amount of um, logistics that had to go into making this interview happen. Somebody had to wake up early. Somebody was staying up late. And somebody, it was the middle of the day. Um, and it was the middle of the day for me. So just <laughs> just, just putting that out there. But um, no, they really, they really made that happen. And uh, you know, I really enjoyed everything they had to say. I learned a lot just from talking to them you know, for a little while. And I hope you did too. I really, I really hope that, you know, the four of you out there who are listening to this got something out of it because it is the first episode and I have no idea uh, who's going to find this or hear it, but I hope it gets out there and I hope you like it. And I will see you again next week.